we begin this afternoon, we want to welcome you to the services once again. And I want to say before we get started uh, with with uh, our thoughts of the afternoon, how much that uh, we have enjoyed being here among you this weekend, how much we appreciate uh, the invitation to be with you. Uh, it's our prayer that God would continue to bless this congregation as well as the other congregations that have been represented here this weekend, uh, and that all of us that are here would continue uh, in our efforts to serve God and to glorify Him with everything that we do. I hope that the things that we've looked at the past three services regarding holiness simply may have given you some things to study about further and to think about in your life regarding the standard that God has called us to and asked us to uphold. This afternoon, uh, we want to look at something a little bit different, We want to look at the life of a man who I think portrays many of the characteristics that we would look at and and want to see in our own life. And that man is Joshua. You'll recognize uh, this man and his story, but I want to talk about a few things that we can learn from Joshua that I think are very, very important in application to our Christian walk and our Christian life. And so for just a few minutes this afternoon, if you would, uh, study with me from God's Word about this man of faith. One thing we notice about Joshua right off the bat when we begin studying him is his level of faith and dedication to God. If you remember back in your Old Testament history, you remember that for about 400 years after Joseph had led his family to Egypt to settle there, for about 400 years the children of Israel grew and multiplied in number and were enslaved in in the country of Egypt. And a man came along named Moses. And Moses was used by God to free those people, the children of Israel, from Egyptian bondage and lead them across. You might remember the story of Moses parting the Red Sea, leading the Israelites across on dry land. And God was leading them toward a promised land that he had promised to Abraham years and years and years before. And he's using Moses as the man to lead the people toward that land. Joshua was in the company of Israelites that escaped from Egypt and were headed toward Mount Sinai to receive the law from God. So as Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, Joshua is a young man in this company of people. In Deuteronomy 34 and verse 4, the scriptures talk about the promise that was made to Abraham of land that would be given to the children of Israel. And it confirms that this land that Moses and that Joshua are now heading to is the promised land. As they approach this land, they receive, this is after they have received God's law, His Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, they head towards the land of Canaan, the land that the Israelites are supposed to be able to settle in, supposed to be able to dwell in for years. And they approach this land, and God tells Moses, before you enter in, because there's going to be other armies, there's going to be other peoples there that you face, before you enter in, I want you to select... Twelve people, one man from each tribe, and these men will act as spies. And I want you to send them into the land so that they can get the lay of the land, get familiar with it, with the people that are there, and then come back and give a report to you about what they found. So Moses does this. He selects twelve men, and of those twelve men, one happens to be Joshua. In Numbers 13, verses 25 through 27... These twelve spies return after searching the land of Canaan for forty days. So we pick up the story here in verse 25. It says, They returned from searching the land after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, 
and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. So I want you to get a picture in your mind. These twelve men, Moses sends them into the land. They search it for forty days. They come back and they say, The land is awesome. They say, It's flowing with milk and honey. They bring back fruit, and it's, it's plentiful, it's huge. They say, This is the fruit that we found. It's got everything that we're going to need to survive. Everything that God has promised, it's true. This land is great. It's amazing. But there's a problem. Verse 31, it says, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come as giants, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So these same men, and it's actually twelve out of I mean ten out of the twelve that we'll find, come back and they say it's great, flowing with milk and honey, this is the fruit from it. But there's a problem. See, the people that live there, they're huge. They're giants. And if we try to take this land, we're going to fail. Because they're too strong. And they're too powerful. Now, these men are giving the report not only to Moses, but to the entire congregation of Israelites. God's people, whom God himself has promised this land to deliver this land to them. And this is the report they bring back. But I want you to notice what Joshua says. Joshua and another man named Caleb. In Numbers 14, 6 through 10, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephonah, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. So ten of these men come back and they say, It's a great land, but the people are too powerful. We can't take it. Regardless of what God has promised, it's impossible. And Joshua and Caleb stand up before the entire congregation of people and they disagree with the other ten and they say, No, it's a great land and though the people are strong, the Lord is with us. He's promised us this land. And He'll deliver on that promise. Their defense is departed from them. They're bred for us. We can take them. And notice the reaction of the congregation of people. They wanted to stone them. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for saying that. Obviously, the congregation of people had been very influenced by the ten who came back and said, We can't take it. It's impossible. But Joshua and Caleb had the faith in God to say, If God said we can, then we can no matter what other men say, no matter what might stand in our way, if this land has been promised us by God, then He'll deliver it to us. I want you to know that kind of faith is something that I want in my life. That's the kind of faith that I want. That no matter what the group or the crowd of people thinks, no matter what the other ten people may think, that I'm willing to stand up and say, if God has told me it's true, then it's true. And if God has promised it to me, and He'll deliver it to me. And that requires an intense belief in what God has promised. 
Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Do you believe that this afternoon? Do you believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him? Do you believe it? Because it's true. If God has told you that, then it's true. And if we dedicate our lives to seeking Him, and we're diligent about serving Him, He'll deliver on the promise. He'll reward us. And we'll see that. What has God promised you? Very simply, I want to compare the promise of heaven to the promise land that the children of Israel were seeking after. Because truly, we're like the Israelites. We are people without a home. And we're looking for that home. We're looking for that land that God has promised us. That spiritual land that awaits us in eternity. And God has promised it to you. And He's promised it to me. Do you believe it? Joshua and Caleb were willing, up, willing to stand up and say, I believe that you'll give me this land because you said so. And if we believe that God has promised us that and we believe Him, we seek Him, He'll give it to us. Guaranteed. Not only does it require belief, though, it requires trust. And trust is a little different than belief. I can believe something without necessarily putting all my trust and faith in it. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Can we truly say that we trust God so much, not just believe what He said, but trust Him to help us overcome what stands in our way? You see, they faced giants, and those giants were not a fake threat. They were real. They were very real. And even though they were real, Joshua was willing to stand up and say, Now I trust God, that even though the giants stand in my way, He'll help us take them. He'll help us defeat them, and we'll get through. You know, we face giants in our life, and they're not necessarily physical giants like that, but they come in the form of other things. They come in the form of diseases illnesses. They come in the form of lost loved ones that grieve us. They come in the form of lost jobs that cause us to struggle to survive. They come in the form of other things that we have to overcome in life. And I want you to know God has promised you that He'll help you overcome those things. Don't leave Him in those moments. Don't do like the other ten spies did and say, it's too much. We give up. Don't do it. Answer the call of faith. Like Joshua, stand up and say, no matter what it is that I face, I know God will help me through. And I'm going to keep seeking Him as long as I live. Something else that Joshua and Caleb did in this story was they were willing to confess that belief. And this is a little bit, it's taking it to the next level, that belief and that trust. You see, believing in something, trusting that we'll be able to get past it, that next step is to be able to stand up in front of others who disagree with you and say it. And that's what they did. Ten out of the twelve, that's a high percentage of people. That's a majority, a large majority that's all in agreement saying we can't do it. You know, a lot of times we get in those situations where we're around a lot of people or a group of people, and when the majority of the group wants to go a certain way or say a certain thing or think a certain it's real easy just to sort of go with the crowd, go with the group. But Joshua said, no, I don't care what the other ten say. I'm going to trust in what God has said, and I'm going to confess that before the congregation of people that want to kill me for what I'm saying. 
Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. This kind of confession is not the confession of sin that we're talking about, but the confession of faith. Confession of belief. And so I ask you in your life, are you willing and able to stand up in front of others who disagree with you, who don't believe in God, who think Christianity is only for ignorant people who don't understand science, are you willing to say, I understand your opinion, but I believe what God has said? Do you identify yourself openly as a Christian? Are you ashamed of it? Or are you proud of it? Are you willing to go against the majority way of thinking when it comes to what God has asked you to do? We're in the minority in this world. We are, as Christians, we're in the minority. And this country, as Christians, we're in the minority. And it's real easy to get caught up in some of the attitudes of acceptance and being non-judgmental and all of those sort of things. And I believe in not judging others. Jesus, in fact, said not to judge or else you'll be judged. But the scriptures also speak of the truth of needing to obey what God has asked you to do. And there's a difference between not judging and accepting everything. There's a difference between saying, you know what, we all have sin. I'm not going to judge you for that. But you know what we need to do? We all need to fix it. Instead of saying, I accept whatever you want to do, and that's fine. You do what you want to do, God will be pleased with you. Because that's a lie. And we can't be afraid to be in the minority. We can't be afraid to stand up and say, What God has said is true. Joshua wasn't afraid to do that. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 14. He said, Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus said it would be the minority of people that make it to heaven. Because it would be a minority of people that believe what he says. Something else that Joshua did was he answered the call of obedience. To catch you up on the story, after the spies come back and they deliver their report, and Joshua answers that call of faith, children of Israel are punished by God to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disbelief, because they weren't willing to trust God in what he said. They wandered around in the wilderness just outside the promised land. The promised land is right there, and they can't enter it. And for 40 years they're wandering around, and everybody over the age of 20, at the point in which Joshua came back, had to die before the children of Israel were able to enter. So 40 years later, they're finally ready to enter the promised land, and this is the group of people that were 19 years and younger at that previous time, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, and any who were born after that, who are now the congregation of Israel, ready to enter this land. Joshua and Caleb and Moses, up to uh, them entering, were the three men who were older, than than, uh, 20 years old, I guess, at the time that were still alive. But we know the story that Moses committed a transgression against God, took credit for something he shouldn't have taken credit for, and God didn't allow Moses to enter the promised land either. So Joshua and Caleb are the two men from that previous time who were able to enter. And Joshua is given the task, after Moses dies, of leading the children of Israel. You think about that for a second and think what a huge task and responsibility that would be to follow especially a leader as great as Moses was. 
the leader who carried them out of Egypt, who through the power of God split the Red Sea, and he's now dead and I'm being asked to fill his shoes. What an immense task and responsibility that was that was given to Joshua. Deuteronomy 34 verses 5 through 9 talks about Joshua being appointed as leader after Moses' death. And Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 through 9, we want to go ahead and read this passage with you. This is God speaking to Joshua, asking him to take the lead in bringing his people to the promised land. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it from the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. An immense task and an immense responsibility placed upon the shoulders of this man. But something that Joshua had was the guarantee from God. That I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'll be with you every step of the way. If you do the things I ask you to do, you'll be prosperous. You'll be successful in all of your pursuits. I want you to take the people into the promised land. I want you to conquer it. And I want you to divide it as an inheritance to all of the tribes. And this is the task that Joshua is faced with. In order to do this, Joshua had to answer the call of obedience. He had to be willing to listen to God and say, Not only do I believe you, trust you, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to follow through. And in Joshua 6, verses 20 through 21, we won't read it, but this is the story where we find Joshua in the battle of Jericho. Jericho was not the only obstacle in their path uh, to the promised land, but it was the first obstacle when they entered into the land. This is the city that stood before them, and you remember the story. The city with walls that they say could not be surpassed, they could not be overcome. And God said, I'll tell you exactly what to do, and if you do what I say those walls will come down. You remember that he told Joshua to lead the people around the city of Jericho one time every day for six days. And on the seventh time, he said, lead them around seven times. And on that seventh day, on the seventh time that you're leading those people around the city, have the priests blow the trumpets, have the people yell and scream, and those walls will come down. And when they fulfilled everything that God had asked them to do, you know what happened? Those walls came tumbling down. And they went into the city, they took it, they overcome it, they overcame it, and that was their first step into taking the promised land. Joshua did it. He obeyed. He took on the task as large as the task was because he trusted in what God said. That requires an immense amount of courage. 
And God even told Joshua about three or four times in those nine verses we read, be strong and of good courage, because that's what it's going to take. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, you and I have received the same promise that Joshua did. Just as God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, He's told you the same thing. And as you go throughout your Christian walk and you seek to serve Him, know that God will never leave you. He will not give up on you. He will not stop rooting for you. He wants you to be successful. We serve a God that wants you in heaven with Him. He's not a God that's looking for the opportunity to punish. He is a just God, and He will punish. But He's looking for every opportunity to save you and to have you there with Him. And He's promised, I'll not leave you, and I'll not forsake you. And based on that, like verse 6 says, we should be able to boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I trust in Him completely, and no matter what man says or does to me, I'll serve Him. You know, when you think about this passage and the time that it was written, it means even more than it should mean to you and I today. Because at the time when this was written, Christians were being persecuted. Christians, for believing, were being beaten and were being killed for their belief. And though we have some of that In other countries today, in this country, we're very blessed and lucky that we can gather together on a day like today and worship Him without fear of people coming in and persecuting us. But they did fear that. And the writer of Hebrews told them, trust in God. Trust in His promise. He won't leave you. And you don't have to fear what man does because our home is not here. Our home is our spiritual home that's been promised us. Joshua also had to have an intense amount of focus. Not only courage to carry out this task, but focus. To say, I'm going to focus in on meditating on the law that God told him to do, to following all the things that God asked him to, to the letter. And so it is with us as well. And that's what we need in our Christian walk. We need courage to overcome the things, the trials that we'll face. But we need focus to keep our path straight. Colossians 3, 1-3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Set your affection on things above. Focus on the things that you need to, knowing that God will never leave you and never forsake you. And like Joshua, you can answer the call of obedience, do the things that you need to do in life to serve God, without fear. Think about the things that we value. When it comes to our focus, whatever we value, we put more time, energy, and effort into. Don't we? If I value an education, I'll put time, effort, and energy into getting that education. If I value my wife, I should be putting time, energy, and effort into making sure that I treat my wife the way that that our marriage is a godly marriage. If I value God, I should be putting time, energy, and effort into making sure that my service to Him is as it should be. 
And that's the kind of focus that I believe Joshua had. God told him, meditate on my law. Don't depart from it from the left or to the right. And he didn't. He simply obeyed. But the other thing that he did, that's the most important thing, was he acted. It wasn't just an internal, I have courage. He acted. He did it. He followed through. James 2, 17 and 18 tells us, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And it's the same thing for us. It's not enough just to answer the call of faith, but we must be willing to answer the call of obedience, to do the things that God has asked us to do. Words or actions, what's more important to you? Is it more important to you to say, I'm a Christian, to say, I'm dedicated, or to actually do the things that are required of you as a Christian? You know... I had a, something happen to me one time at school that kind of threw me a little bit. I uh, kind of pride myself on being a very organized person. That's just sort of something that, that I like to have everything organized. I have anything that I have that's a list. I have it uh, alphabetized and all of that. This is kind of how I am. Well, I've never locked my keys in the car before, before this day. And I'm at school, and I'm waiting for a test. I'm about to take a test in about 20 minutes. I was a little early, so I'm sitting in my car with the AC running. I'm looking over some of my notes, and I'm waiting. It gets about that time, about five minutes before. I think I'm going to go ahead and head into my class. So I grab my books, grab my backpack, open my door, close the door, start walking towards class. And as I always do, I patted the front of my leg to feel for my keys. And for the first time, those keys weren't there. And I thought, oh, no. And I turned around. And I looked at my car, and there it is running. And I go back, and I'm praying that that door is unlocked. But as organized of a person I am, I didn't forget to lock the door. So I pull on the hand, it's locked, of course. So I call my wife, and I say, I mean, I've got my books and all that. I can go take my test. But as soon as I'm done, I'm not going to be able to get home, and my car's sitting here running. So I call my wife. I'm sorry, I know you're busy, but I need you to come down to the school, bring the spare key so we can get in the car and, and go home and all that. She tells me, okay, no problem. 30 minutes later, she's there. She's brought the key. We get in the car. It's no big deal. It's fixed. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking how many times, you know, when we were dating and early marriage and all of that, we would tell each other, oh, yeah, you know, we'll be there for each other and we'll do anything that any, any, either of us needs and we'll always be there. And, you know, those words are great. But her actually showing up with the key was a whole lot better. And I'd much rather have that. Actions spoke a lot louder than the words. And you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And it's true. And do you think it's true for God as well? Do you think he'd rather have servants that say all the right things but don't really follow through? Or servants who act? Who are active in doing the good works and the good deeds that Christians are supposed to be doing. And that's the point. That's what Joshua did. He followed through. And so we ought to as well. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The last thing that we want to look at this afternoon that Joshua did, an aspect of his life, was his endurance. This taking the promised land, battle of Jericho was just the beginning. And it didn't end there. In fact, it took years and years for the children of Israel to conquer the entire promised land. Joshua 13 and verse 1, we 
indicates that Joshua is now an old man, and there is still more land that needs to be conquered. That tells you the amount of time that is passing by here. In Joshua 24 and verse 48, at the very end of the book, just before Joshua is about to face death, this task of taking the promised land is finally completed. This is not something we think about it a lot of times as being just a quick thing, but it wasn't. It took years of hard work and battles in order for this to happen. But finally, in verse 48, the task is complete, the land is theirs. I want to read something that Joshua says. Verses 14 and 15, this task now finally being complete, Joshua being an old man standing before the congregation, knowing that he's about to face death. And this is what he says. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's a great passage of Scripture. And you see it on uh, decorations and houses all the time, because it's a powerful Scripture. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But knowing the history of the man who said it makes it even more powerful to know that this is a man from the time when he was a young man coming out of Egypt and that group of people coming out of slavery who was faithful to God, who was called to a position of leadership after Moses died, and he stepped up with courage and with dignity, willing to take on the task that God gave him. Finally, years later, having fulfilled that task and still with a faith as strong as ever, saying, you have to choose who you're going to serve. But I know who I'm serving till the day I die. And that's God. That requires an immense amount of effort to accomplish this task and maintain that type of faith. That's what I want at the end of my life, to be able to still have a faith as strong, if not stronger, after all the things that I've been through in my life at that Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's going to take effort for us to be successful in Christianity. I think we've discussed that a little bit the last three services. It takes a little bit of effort on our part. God's grace is amazing and God's grace is good, but He also asks us to do a few things. It's going to take effort. And we need to constantly be diligent in working towards that end. Practice makes perfect. You've heard that phrase, but it's true. And it's true in this as well. For us to be the kind of Christians that we want to be, If you have that picture of yourself, this is where I'd like to be, and this is the faith I'd like to have, work toward it, and it can happen. Work on it and be diligent. You know, to endure that long and that arduous of a task also requires great resilience. There was a story uh, in Joshua chapter 7 of a city that the children of Israel were to go and attack, and it was a city called Ai. And Joshua and the children of Israel, they go into this city, and they fail miserably you say, well, how is that possible? Joshua chapter 1, we read, God said, I'll be with you. I'll help you to be successful. I'll make your way prosperous. But they failed. And 36 Israelites died as a result of this battle. And Joshua goes to God and he says, why is it that we failed? And God says, there's a man among you, one of the Israelites, who in the last battle took some things that he wasn't supposed to take. 
I told you to destroy everything, and he didn't. He stole some things, and you'll find it there in his tent. Joshua went, he found it, and he took care of the problem, put the man to death. They went back, they attacked the same city again, and this time they were victorious, and they overcame it. And the point was this. Joshua was the leader. He was responsible for those 36 deaths. And he was responsible for the failure. But he didn't quit. He found out what the problem was, he fixed it, and he went at it again. And you and I have got to be willing to do that in our life. Don't be ashamed of failure. Use failure as a way to get better and to improve. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, the apostle, who had previously persecuted and put to death Christians, is saying, this is what I know to do. I put those things that are behind me, behind me, and I press forward. And no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what mistakes you've made, put it behind you and push forward. That's what God wants from you. That's what God asks from you. He doesn't ask you to to have guilt for the rest of your life and shame for the rest of your life to a point where you give up. That's not what He wants. He wants you to put the mistakes behind you and to keep pushing forward. That's what Joshua did. That's what Paul did. That's what you and I have got to do. The past versus the future. We cannot allow our past to negatively affect our future. Make sure that your future is everything that it needs to be and put your past where it belongs. The other thing that this requires is great resolve. You don't, Joshua, we read about that resolve in verses 14 and 15. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's the resolve that I believe that he lived with all of those years in between as well as they were conquering the land. He lived with that resolve. You and I need that. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, not only did Joshua show great resolve, but the greatest example that we can look to in Scripture for anything, Jesus Christ showed the greatest of resolve. In everything that he went through, in all of the beatings, the spit upon him, the crown of thorns, carrying that cross for miles down that road, beaten and bloodied, and then to be nailed upon it and to eventually die. That's resolve. He resolved that he was going to do that because I needed him to and because you needed him to. And he finished the task. Jesus endured all of it and finished. That's what you and I need to look to as an example. No matter what we faced, past, present, or future, have the resolve that it takes to see it through to the end. That no matter what happens, like Jesus before me, I will see what's important and I'll make it there. In conclusion, I want to read you Joshua 24, 29 through 31. 
as we conclude Joshua's life. The scripture says this, And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, in which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. I want you to get what that passage is saying. After Joshua's dead and gone, all of those people that had served with Joshua, that had known him, that had known the great man of faith, the great man of obedience, the great man of endurance that he was, they stayed faithful to the Lord because of the example that he set. But not only that, the people that lived under the elders who had previously known Joshua stayed faithful to the Lord because of the example that Joshua set. And I want you to know this afternoon that you are leaving a legacy behind. Joshua's legacy was one that said, all of those that come after me are going to be faithful to God because of what I've done in my life. And I want that legacy for you and I want that legacy for me so that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren have the opportunity to know and to love the God and the Savior that we know and love because of the example that we set. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is up to you to leave that legacy. It's up to you to answer the call of faith, to answer the call of obedience, and to answer the call of endurance in your life. What will your legacy be tonight? If you've not started your walk with Christ, we offer you that opportunity. It's such an important decision for you to make. We want you to make that and start your life dedicated to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you are a Christian, but perhaps you've got a need in your life that we can help you with, we ask if there be one of either class that you'd come and sit on a front pew as we stand and sing the invitation song.